welcome to Short Course, episode 16, for May 18th, 2018. I'm your host, Ben Barry. I shot the first really hot summer club match this past weekend. It was it was definitely warm at South Carolina a couple weeks ago, but this match was just hot, like record-setting hot. It was 97 degrees in May, which is unusual even for North Carolina. And the match was... Eh, it, the, the heat definitely got to me. I, I'm not used to it yet this early in the season. It wasn't particularly remarkable. It, it was definitely learned a couple things, but uh, there were two incidents about it that I thought might be worth talking about. The first was that I tend to not take untested gear to the match. In fact, I have a rule. Don't take untested gear to a match. And the, the reason for that is it just it forces you to think about, you know, have I tried this out in practice? Do I know that this you know, new front sight or this new holster or these new magazine base pads, whatever, whatever it is. Have I tried it in practice, in dry fire, but also especially in live fire for me? Uh, I, I just, there's no reason to make a change going into a match unless I've tested it because the, the upside is very, very minimal. Whatever potential gain you can get from, you know, whatever minor tweak at this point, right? They're mostly minor tweaks for me. Uh, whatever minor tweak the upside of including it in the match is almost nothing. And the downside is potentially large. And I violated that rule a little bit at this match at such a small level that I couldn't imagine it would matter. And that's by changing the lubricant on the gun. At South Carolina, I got a little freebie tube of red slide glide, which I guess they describe as the regular kind. So it's supposed to be somewhat thick-ish. You know, I was cleaning the gun, after South Carolina, put a little bit on the slide rail. So it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, this feels nice. Whatever. Like, let's try this. It's, you know, it's slick. It's lubricating. It, you know, what what could go wrong? Well, it induced two jams on the first stage. Like, the gun just wasn't cycling right, which, you know, first stage of a club match, never really what you want. Maybe, you know, maybe if I messed around with it some more or tried it again, you know, maybe it was a fluke on this one stage, but... I didn't care enough to try. I went to the safe area, cleaned it off, and put on the, the normal stuff that I use, and the, the gun ran fine for the rest of the day. No light strikes, no malfunctions. So I, I just, I the upside of using some new, you know, I mean, I, it was a curiosity, right? Oh, I got this sample tube of this other thing, but eh, I just, like, I don't care enough to really try that much. And and I thought that, you know, changing the changing something that minor, what what could possibly could that really have an effect of the match? Well, it did. So that that was a lesson that that I now have to lower the bar even further to not even taking untested lubricants to the match because some lubricants don't lubricate as much as others, I guess. Or, I don't know, maybe it's part of the reducing felt recoil voodoo magic of slide glide that I just don't really care that much about. Uh, the other thing that was useful and interesting is I, I'd actually forgotten that I had bought before Ipsic Nationals last year, I'd bought a pair of the, the Double Alpha padded knee pads. And one of the nice things about them is, you know, they're cushiony, they're not super rigid, and they fold pretty flat. So I just had one in a flat pocket in my shooting range bag, and it lived there for over a year. I, I didn't end up using it at the at the IPSC Nationals. I think I used it in practice once, but but it had just been sitting there dormant, and walk up to a stage at this match. It is actually also the first stage of the day. And the the start position is toes touching the, the back fault line. And when you step in, you get to shoot under a table at three mini poppers at like 10 or 15 yards and a 15 yard open paper. 
And they had a rubber mat down, but the rubber mat was really kind of a sucker's bet. It wanted you to go too deep into the port, and it, it really wasn't that that cushioned, really, in my opinion. So this knee pad that I got, I want to say it was some Ben Steger video or podcast years ago. It was like, yeah, get a knee pad, throw it in your bag, you know, one day you'll need it. Well, it happened. So I, that was kind of interesting, I guess. So definitely, you know, recommend having one of those. I don't know if the club matches around you have low ports, but this club match likes to pull out all the stops. And, and so, you know, it was, it was definitely a challenging, but fair, very doable shooting position. And, uh, it was nice to just be able to drop straight down without worrying about scraping up your knee and just have the pad. So those were the, the two sort of interesting things from the match, but I thought it would also be useful on this week's episode as the summer starts to ramp up or your North Carolina basically barrels in, um, just talk about some of the stuff over the last couple of years of shooting in the hot North Carolina summers that I've picked up that helped me deal with the heat. And maybe something in here will give you an idea of something that, that you might want to try this summer just to make matches a little bit more bearable, make your performance better. Because it, I mean, it really is frustrating to put in practice and then go to the match and not be able to perform because your brain's fried from, from being dehydrated. To that end, the one thing that I sort of will say might be original to this, I mean, everything else is just kind of going to be some of the stuff I use, but the one thing that, that I've come up with that, that really does, I think, help me at matches is I make my own beef jerky. It actually started out because I, I in general, try to avoid sugar just in any kind of packaged form. So, you know, we'll get to this later, but I also, like, don't drink Gatorade or any of the, the bottled sports drinks. And, you know, you look at most of the most of the packaged jerky, not only is it expensive, but it's got a good deal of sugar in it. And the jerky was also designed as a way to inject as much salt as possible in in relatively, you know, compact doses. I mean, obviously, I don't want to be out there licking a salt lick. But the idea is, and this is a little bit of quasi-bro science, I'm not an expert in this, so correct me if I'm wrong, but basically, your body requires some salt in the water to be able to process it as you drink it. You can't just drink plain water because it's it's got the wrong pH. Your body needs some salt to balance out the water so that it matches the pH of your body. That's the short version. So that's why you either drink Gatorade, which has electrolytes, you know, what plants crave and all that, or you get the salt somewhere else and then you you drink the water. And so trying to come up with my own solution, that's th- this is what I what I settled on. And the nice thing is compared compared to buying jerky in the store, it's actually not that expensive. I mean, I I literally I buy $7 a pound sirloin steak and cut it up and make my own jerky with it. And when you look at how much a pound of jerky costs, it it's not that far off. From a nutrition standpoint, avoiding the the sugar, you know, avoiding the sugar crash is a good thing. And I've tinkered with the with the recipe a little bit over the years, and at this point I basically make it almost as salty as I can possibly stand. It, it almost, it has this weird, almost like a burning effect. <laughs> like when I eat a couple pieces of the jerky, cause it's so salty. Uh, but it's cool because your body, your body doesn't re- reject it. I mean, if you try and drink salt water, your body obviously rejects that cause it doesn't want to die, but eating really, really salty foods, at least in my experience, it, it has that little bit of a burning tingling, but you, you can eat it just fine. And then it makes you very thirsty. Your body's like, well, I'm going to need some water to, to wash this down. And so you eat a couple pieces of jerky, you drink half a bottle of water, and you're hydrated for the next stage or so. 
And so as far as recipe goes, um, you know, it's, it's a ballpark thing. You'll, you'll have to tinker it to your own, your own taste. But my rough rule of thumb is I want one and a half tablespoons. It seems like a lot when you put it on there, but one and a half tablespoons of salt and then a half a tablespoon of whatever other flavoring, you know, you can do pepper, you can do Cajun seasoning, you can do seasoned salt. Actually, I'll do seasoned salt for the regular salt too. Uh, just to give it a little bit of flavor if you want. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't do an extra half tablespoon of just pure salt. That might be too much or maybe not. Maybe you like it. But those amounts per pound of meat and just go to the grocery store, get whatever kind of steak you want, put it on the, put it on the cutting board, slice it into thin strips and salt it with that amount. Just, you know, however much the package of meat says the weight is mix up that amount of salt. Toss it in a bowl, put it on your dehydrator. On my dehydrator, it usually takes about hmm, six to eight hours. I've got a little timer that that I use to just set it so it runs overnight because you, you don't want to over dry it, right? Like really, really dry jerky isn't isn't very good either. But the in general, the drier it is, the the longer it'll last. You know, some of the jerky that I make will last uh, over a month. You know, in a in a bag just because it's it's dry enough. In that one and a half tablespoons of salt, the the one thing that I would say is I use a mix of about one third potassium chloride, which is usually marketed as new salt, low salt, salt alternative, sodium free salt alternative. So it'll be about, you know, two thirds will be regular salt, table salt, and the rest will be potassium chloride, just because it is another electrolyte that is also good to uh, have in your body and, and can be depleted. And so getting that mix of sodium chloride and potassium chloride, which is not expensive, you just mix it in with your with your spice mix throw it on there. It's very salty, makes you want to drink, does the job. That's uh, something that, that I definitely make sure to do. And, you know, if you, if you see me to match, you know, and you want to, you want to try some, you know, don't be afraid to ask. It's, it's not, it's not tasty in the traditional sense. Like it doesn't taste good. You wouldn't snack on it. But when you're at a match, you know, my, my routine is after a stage, you know, I'll go back to my range bag, load my mags and then reach into the bag and you know, grab two, three pieces of jerky, you know, again, usually I try and keep it in a Ziploc bag and hold the bag on the outside and kind of eat the the jerky out of it. Just so I'm not getting my lead covered fingers on the jerky and potentially ingesting lead. If you clean your hands between stages or something like that, maybe you don't have to worry about it, but that's the way I'll do it. And then after that, I'm thirsty, you know, you eat a couple pieces of that, chug a good amount of water and by just hydrating throughout the day, it, it helps keep you on a, on an even keel. Aside from that, the the water situation that I use, I so I used to be, well, first of all, philosophically, I I don't want to use a wagon. And I know wagons are popular. I know a lot of guys like them. A lot of guys don't have any problems with them. But I just, for me, I want to be able to carry everything either in my hands or on my back. And, you know, I don't have to worry about the you know, whether it's muddy or, you know, the gravel or wheeling it uphill. Like I just, I want to be able to pack everything up and just walk, you know, from stage to stage. That's the choice I've made. So that influences a lot of these decisions. So you might find that, that these don't make as much sense for you. If you like using a wagon, I mean, we can still be friends. I don't dislike wagons. I just, I don't want to have to, to, to bring one with me. So what I used to do uh, for water is I would, I had one of those reusable gallon plastic water jugs and I would just fill that up sort of track it and try and keep how much water I was drinking in in sync with how many stages I'd shot so by the end of the day ideally I'd have drunk the whole gallon uh, 
in in all honesty, I just happened to break the the, the gallon jug, and um, I never bought another one because what I found is it is nice, and it doesn't weigh that much more to carry a small cooler. And the advantage of the cooler is the water is actually cold, and that isn't just a comfort thing. I used to eschew cold water, just thinking it was you know a matter of comfort, but in terms of keeping your core temperature regulated, it, it actually, you know, it, it's not a bad thing. What I ended up finding is Igloo makes this little, they call it like the 18 pack cooler. It, you know, I guess it can hold 18 cans of something, but it's, it's not that much heavier than, than my old water jug used to be. And it's just as easy to carry around in one hand. And when you have it, you can use it as a, as a little table. So I, I also carry a folding camp stool, a little tripod camp stool. And so wherever I go, you know, pretty much on each stage. If you've, if you've ever shot a match with me, I almost set up a little a little campsite, right? Backpack goes down, cooler goes down, and then I set up my, my stool, and then I'll usually have various stuff on the ground, you know, whether it's a box ammo or something nearby, and have, have a little campsite. But the nice thing is I can set that up wherever. You know, it doesn't have to be under it and easy up. I can just kind of take wherever free space that, that's available. And so the cooler, you actually have cold water, um, which, you know, you can take or leave, but I think it, it turned out, in my experience, to not be that much of a hassle to carry it around, and the the cold water definitely helped to keep my core temperature down. There were definitely a couple matches where I was starting to get, um, so like I'll get a headache when I'm dehydrated, but I've noticed that nausea is more on the heat stroke side. That's just anecdotal, like from my experience. And so when I start feeling nauseous, that's when the sign it's like you need to drink something cold, sit in the shade, like cool your temperature down. Again, just observational. If, if the science isn't right on that one, you know, email me, let me know. But the other nice thing about having a cooler is it's got ice in it and you can have a, a nice pool of icy water in the bottom. And in terms of keeping core temperature down, what I found is more effective than these like space age cooling towels that you like snap to instantly cool, which the thermodynamics of that make no sense to me. Um, Evaporative cooling is evaporative cooling. I, I'm not sure how snapping it is is supposed to improve that. Um, but I just take a regular like terry cloth towel, and, and sometimes I'll bring two of them and, and and rotate them out, and I just dunk that sucker in in the cooler, in the ice, the cold water in the bottom of the cooler. I'll dunk the center of it in there, and then just wrap that around the back of my neck, so it's you know as close to sort of cooling one of the main blood thoroughfares as it can get. And a lot of times, you know, you'll get some some of the ice water dripping down your back, which feels good. And and so that's more of my speed in terms of the, you know, the towel situation. Um, I've used the, the cooling towel things. I just, it never really seemed to work for me. Maybe I'm using it wrong. I don't know. But when you've got the cooler, you can have cold water. You can dunk your, your towel in there to, to chill it down between stages. And it, it does help keep your, your core temperature low. It's not just about hydration. It is also about temperature regulation. So that's helpful. As far as what to put in the cooler, I'm actually a fan of Nalgene bottles, but not the kind that you're thinking about. It's not the the circular wide open mouth ones. Nalgene actually makes rectangular one liter bottles that you can fit four of them in that little 18 pack cooler. And so that's four liters of water. The, the advantage of a rectangle obviously being a higher packing density. So, you know, circles don't actually pack all that densely. So if you have a bunch of bottles of water, there's a lot of dead space between them, whereas rectangles, squares, you know, you can pack in a grid much more tightly. And so just for filling the space in the cooler, the, the those one liter 
rectangular Nalgene bottles are, are, they've worked out for me and they're not that expensive. They're like five, 10 bucks last time I looked. So definitely worth it. A lot of times I'll put, uh, you know, one of them will just get filled up with ice at the beginning of the day. And then that's, that's my ice pack. And then towards the end of the day, it melts and I can actually drink the water out of it. Uh, I'm not a fan of, of freezing them overnight just because they do tend to warp the plastic a little bit, um, you know, ice expanding and all that. So I'll just, I'll fill it up with a, uh, as many ice cubes as it'll hold and then fill it with water and, and that keeps the cooler cold. Uh, other stuff here at the bottom, I definitely, so I've, I, I have a baseball cap and I'll wear, you know, I'll wear earplugs and then wear a set of electronic muffs on top of that. And I'll do that when I'm shooting, but as soon as I'm done shooting, the earmuffs come off just in terms of, again, heat regulation. And I switch from the baseball cap to a, a hat that has a brim all the way around. And, you know, in this case, it's just like a REI Sahara hat. And, you know, it just, it has a little two, three inch wide brim all the way around. And so just, you know, whatever angle you're at, it just helps keep the, the sun off your neck and, and the side of your face. And it just keeps you that, that little bit much cooler. So I'm, I'm definitely a fan of that. You can't wear earmuffs over those um, just because, you know, you'd bend the brim or you'd look like some kind of crazy Aussie, which is also cool if you want to do that. I have no problem with that. But for me, for the for the heat dissipation, I just I lose the muffs anytime I'm not shooting. And when you're not shooting, you're far enough away from the gun that usually a good set of earplugs, which I use the 3M, I want to say 1100. They're the, the orange. They just look like little orange cones with a rounded tip. They work great. They block everything out much, much more noise blocking than, than anything else I've ever used. And uh, aside from like custom molded, all that stuff, but you know, for, for being foamies, they're the best ones I've found. And, uh, and so I just wear those cause it, it just helps you lose as much heat as possible. And the, the brimmed hat helps keep the sun off you. Other than that, um, people do still ask me now and then about pro grip. I'm always kind of surprised. It, it seems like a very straightforward thing. Um, it is definitely an advantage to use pro grip, um, or liquid grip or whatever you want to call it. For me, the, the grip surface between my hand and the gun, at least on, you know, a Tenfolio with the grip panels and the, the checkering, the aggressive checkering on the gun, that's not really where I need the pro grip. I like to have it just cause it helps. But to me, it's, it's all about the contact patch between the back of my right hand. I'm a right-handed shooter, the back of my right hand and the inside of my left hand, you know, just getting as much traction as I can so that the left hand, which is doing more gripping than the right hand, it's, you know, gripping as hard as it can, uh, without, you know, shaking the gun, I can, I can actually get more of that left hand grip transferred to the gun. And, and that skin on skin contact is really where the, where the pro grip comes in handy. You know, having a, a dry grip between your hand and the gun, if the gun is sufficiently textured, whether, you know, it's a metal gun that's checkered or you've got some kind of rubber granulate, you know, grip tape on it, that's secondary to me. But, you know, I, you know, when you see somebody shooting major power factor and not using pro grip between their two hands, I just, you know, Hey, good on you. But, uh, there's, as far as I can tell, there's roughly no downside to it. And, uh, there's definite benefit. So I, I'm always a little surprised when it's, when it's even a question. And then the last thing I'll say here is I have been known in past years. I don't do it as much anymore. Uh, but I have been known to carry an easy up a 10 by 10 easy up from stage to stage when I was shooting at a range where I knew didn't or likely wouldn't have shade on each bay. And at first I thought, you know, it was going to be kind of dumb 
to, to carry your own shelter from bay to bay. But the first couple times I did it, like people appreciate having it, you know, and it's actually a, a folded up, easy up, isn't all that heavy, you know, much like lifting anything. It's once you have it lifted, it's, it's pretty easy to carry. It's just the, the, you know, getting it up on your shoulder kind of thing. But once that's done, it's, it's pretty easy to haul from stage to stage. And I've never had a problem getting a couple people on the squad to help deploy it and fold it up between stages because, you know, it's a hot match. They want to have shade to stand under too. But, you know, if, if the, so I'll usually throw it in the car for a hot match and just see what the conditions are going to be. I find myself not using it as much recently just because the clubs that I tend to shoot matches at have started installing either permanent shelters or, you know, they, they bought a bunch of easy ups and they put one up at every stage. So I haven't had to use it recently, but especially, you know, if for whatever reason, the, the matches that you're going to, you tend not to, to have shade on each bay. There is no shame. And I would say there is significant competitive advantage in bringing your own shade and deploying it on, on every bay. Like if, if your squad has that and the other squads don't, um, well, good for you. Like that's, that's an advantage. So, uh, you put in the work, you reap the benefit. And like I say, you, you, you might get some funny looks, but your squad by the end of the day will be very happy to help you with it and be very happy that, that you brought it. So, uh, yeah, don't, don't be afraid to do that. That's what works for me. Uh, that's sort of the, the snapshot in time right now at the beginning of the, the 2018 summer. I, I've got, you know, some new things I'm going to be tinkering with this year. And, you know, if they work out, I'll probably talk about them on the podcast, but that's the, that's the sort of tried and true stuff that, that I found that works. If some of that helps, if you've got some other ideas, you know, shoot them to me at podcast at barryshooting.com. That's the easiest way to get to me. Otherwise, that wraps up this episode of Short Course. You can follow me on Facebook at Ben Barry Shooting and Instagram at BS Barry. And my match videos are at youtube.com slash Ben Barry USPSA. Talk to you next time.